These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. On today's broadcast, we're going to be taking a look at some new research that utilizes alfalfa to increase nitrogen uptake in other cash crops. Nebraska Extension educator Steve Melvin is going to be stopping by to give us some tips on making sure your irrigation system is ready for the winter months. Plus, we're going to be talking about weather as well as the markets. We'll get into all that coming up here in a moment. But first, USDA reported earlier this week that about 60% of Nebraska's winter wheat crop had been planted. That pacing is ahead of the average for this time of year, which is just around 50%. One extension expert is warning that grasshoppers could be an issue for wheat producers as we head into the fall months. Grasshopper populations have been high this year. Large grasshopper outbreaks generally happen in cycles, and this year was definitely one of those years. While grasshopper populations tend to decline through the late summer and fall, they can remain significant in significant densities until after the first hard freeze. That's why it's a good idea for wheat growers to monitor those grasshopper densities in areas surrounding wheat fields both before and after planting. We had in a lot of areas, we had relatively mild winters. Grass, most of our grasshoppers, annual grasshoppers in Nebraska overwinter as eggs in the soil. So they're protected anyway from temperatures, but we had generally mild winters in a lot of areas. Uh, some years, if it's cold and wet as the grasshoppers hatch out, that can kill them. We didn't have that this year. So basically weather factors uh, is the main, main issue that uh, we had a lot of grasshoppers. And they go in cycles sometimes. You get two or three bad years and then also there's some diseases and, and beneficial insects that can build up and attack them and, and reduce the numbers, but we haven't had that recently. So, While insecticides are still an option for controlling grasshopper populations, there may not be enough biomass in the plants for that method of control to be particularly an effective solution. The other issue is you can try to use foliar insecticides to control grasshoppers in the new wheat or alfalfa. The problem is you don't have much leaves above ground to intercept the, the insecticide. The insecticide that hits the ground, bare ground, isn't gonna affect grasshoppers. It needs to be on the plant. So it's, it's relatively hard to kill them with foliar insecticides with very small plants. So you can try to spray with insecticides, but it's often not very effective. The other issue is this time of year, grasshoppers are very large and larger grasshoppers take a larger dose of insecticide to kill them. Uh, so it's something to be aware of. 
again, if you could try to reduce the grasshopper populations nearby before you plant or before the new seedlings emerge, that's probably the best option. The other thing, at least to some extent, uh, maybe delay planting a little bit. You know, with wheat, we don't want to plant real early anyway because of potential of hessian fly and other insects. Uh, same thing with uh, alfalfa. Uh, if you have other insects in the area, maybe delay a little bit. Don't want to delay too too long because we need some some warmth for them to hatch, to germinate and start growing. But uh, don't plant too early uh, because you're going to have grasshoppers in some areas that are going to damage the emerging seedlings. If you'd like more information on early winter wheat development or grasshopper control methods, you're always encouraged to reach out to your local county extension office. Up next, winter is not here yet, but before you know it, it will be. Now is the time to plan ahead when it comes to winterizing your irrigation systems. Market Journal's Mike Straub has this story. With fall quickly approaching, getting prepared for winter is also right around the corner. When planning for irrigation winterization, one of the most important aspects just might be making a checklist. Yeah, well, the irrigation season's wrapped up for the most part now uh, with our summer annual crops, and, and which is always a good relief. And the thing that we need to think about, I mean, if we got some real late planted type of crop, maybe it still needs some water, but for the most part, we're shut down now. And the things we need to be thinking about is, is making a list of what needs repaired on the equipment. It's always a good idea to do a pressure check late in the season. You know, the wells are pumped down, and so we need to have uh, a pressure check this time of year so we know if the system's got enough pressure. That's the number one thing to, to pay attention to on a center pivot. Is the pressure right also on a subsurface drip? And so we always want to be sure and check that at the end of the year. The other thing is make sure you know what needs repaired on the system. You know, unlike a tractor or a combine that we can start up and run in January and we got time to work on it, we can't do that with a center pivot. And so we need to make sure that we uh, get a nice list of everything that needs to be repaired before next season while it's fresh in our minds. Inspecting the above ground pipes, ensuring that they are completely drained, as well as making sure the rock trap is not clogged, could also save a lot of trouble in the spring. Now for the most part, center pivots drain themselves out, but of course the drains can get plugged, and so it's always good to check those. You know, the last thing we want to do next spring is find out we've got something broken because it froze over the winter. Uh, you know, dump the, the rock trap at the end and those kinds of things and, and uh, make sure there's any above ground piping is drained back like it's supposed to be. And again, most of that stuff will drain itself, but it's always good to check it. But those are the main things. You know, it's also good to go through the gearboxes and make sure you drain any water out of those. And, and uh, you know, if you've got a, a direction you like to park it, I always kind of like to park them towards the southeast. I think they're a little less vulnerable to the wind wind storms than that, but of course in Nebraska there's no guarantee on what direction the wind's going to blow, but you know, get them parked where you want them and, and uh, have them ready for the winter. If you're planting cover crops or wheat this fall, light irrigation may be needed for a nice kickstart for the crops. You know, the cover crops are a reason we might irrigate this fall or if we've planted some wheat, uh, you know, we want to get a good stand establishment with that and certainly if we're going to spend the money on seed for a cover crop or if we're growing a wheat crop, we want to make sure we get it off to a great start. And so some lighter applications with cover crops is probably a good idea. With wheat, you know, we want to put some moisture into the profile if it's dry and, and get it off to a great start so it goes into the winter in the best condition it possibly can. Black layer is a good sign that crops are no longer in need of irrigation. If you need advice on how to spot black layer, it's important to contact your local extension office. 
the typically there's some stored soil water in the system, you know, and so you can let the crop use that at the end of the season. But certainly you need to, you know, watch for black layer on the corn as well as on the soybeans. It's a little different to look at there, but uh, you know, we can't really go into that right now, but certainly check in with your extension educator. And if you're not sure how to look for black layer on corn and soybeans, but you know, once they black layer, they're done. I mean, the plants may still be green, but there's, they're not gonna get any more yield if you keep putting water onto it. So at that point, you sure wanna be done. Typically, I suggest people about the 10th of August start thinking about slowing down and using up some of that stored soil water because the challenge becomes is that, you know, typically, now last year was the exception, but we get, you know, in the Grand Island area here, somewhere around 15, 16 inches of moisture off season. And so if we can, uh, you know, if we leave the field pretty much at field capacity, that means all of that's going to deep percolate. And it's just water that we don't get to use, plus it takes some nitrates with it. So we certainly want to leave the field as dry as we can in the fall. Thank you very much for the story, Mike. If you'd like to learn more about winterizing your irrigation systems, we've provided an informative checklist along with this story. Find that over on the Market Journal homepage. Moving over to the markets now, this week we were joined on Wednesday by Luca Beckman from Central Valley Ag. We began our discussion by getting an update when it comes to a harvest up in Luke's region of the state. Well, you uh, reside up the Elgin, Nebraska area. I'm curious as we uh, open up today's broadcast and conversation, how's harvest progress in your neck of the woods? We had a nice rain uh, a week ago, uh, pretty general across the northeast part of the state. Uh, slowed things down across the weekend and a little bit of a slow start to start this last week, uh, but things are firing back up. I think soybean harvest, by the time you know uh, producers see this, uh, will be going uh, pretty actively across the footprint and a lot of high moisture corn starting to come out. So I'd say about 15% of soybean harvest uh, is probably complete in the Eastern third of the state. Uh, corn harvest still just starting to get going, less than 10% complete at this point. Uh, yields, as you would imagine, are pretty variable this year. Uh, just with uh, where the rains hit, uh, some of the different stresses, you know, that this crop had to endure. So uh, we'll certainly know more as we continue to progress through harvest, um, but a little bit of everything as we get going. Yeah, appreciate that, Luke. Well, as we jump into uh, the conversation, let's kind of tackle the corn market first. As you look at the charts, as we put a, prepare to put a bow on the month of September, pretty much the entire month we've been stuck in the sideways trend, but that goes back to uh, August. Your thoughts on the corn market? Uh, are we, are we going to be stuck here through the entire harvest season? I don't think so, Bryce. Uh, I think this market's probably working on some sort of a pre-harvest low. You know, seasonally, the corn market does find a, a low kind of in this period between Labor Day and uh, the middle of October. So optimistic that maybe we're finding that here. Obviously, we've got a big report coming out on Friday this week in the September stocks report. You know, by the time they see this, we will have seen the, the results for that. Uh, probably not too many surprises in that report, though. It's held uh, quite a few surprises in recent years, uh, most of those being bullish. And so uh, the June stocks report, if you remember back to the June 30th uh, planted acreage and stocks report, that was a bullish surprise. Uh, the wind was kind of taken out of the bull's sales that day because we did find more corn acres. Uh, but the stocks data was friendly in June. Uh, now history doesn't necessarily suggest that just because the June report was friendly that we get a bullish report in September. Um, but it does imply maybe that feed usage is running a little bit higher. So we'll see what that report says on Friday. They can also use that data to go back and adjust the size of last year's crop. And so you know that report uh, potentially uh, could trim the size of this last year's carryout 
somewhat. That's the expectation coming in. Is it going to be enough to impact the market? Doesn't feel like it. You know, we've got to carry out at 2.2 plus billion bushels for this crop that we're harvesting right now. And so we're going to need some help in some different areas. Certainly uh, a yield cut um, would help. You really need to get that national yield closer to 170 bushels per acre to try to get this carry out closer to 2 billion, which is going to be a much more manageable number. Uh, we've got stocks to use at, at 15% and higher. I mean, that's really just not a bullish scenario. It tells you we've just got too much corn relative to the demand base that we have. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up the corn front, Luke. How about on soybeans? Is the story any different over there? It is. The so soybean situation certainly uh, is friendlier, has the potential to be friendlier. As we look at the new crop carryout projections, uh, the thing it's just tighter. You know, we've got a 220 million bushel uh, projection by the USDA today. Uh, we've also got that stocks report on Friday the 29th, uh, which will finalize the carryout for the old uh, year that just wrapped up, the 22-23 marketing year. Uh, as we look at the soybean situation, uh, the USDA has already accounted for a weaker demand situation looking at new crop. They've cut the export number substantially since we saw the initial estimates in May. And so they've kind of accounted for this and they've done so because of two reasons. One, we don't have the acres uh, that we do in the corn market and the yield has started to slip a little bit closer to 50 bushels per acre, potentially could be cut uh, to less than 50 bushels per acre. So carryout situation certainly tighter in the soybeans. If we have a, a potential story in one of the two commodities, I certainly like soybeans better. Uh, but a lot of that's probably going to depend on how the South American growing season gets started. Uh, how many acres are they able to get into the ground? We know that number grows every single year. Um, so really want to pay attention to South America as we get into December. How does some of that uh, weather look? What kind of an export program uh, could the U.S. Uh, get into if they do have some issues? Because today, uh, not off to a great start as we look at the current marketing year uh, for soybean exports. So that's really the story in beans is just uh, balancing where's this supply going to come in with the yield and then how does South America get started as they plant their soybeans this fall. Well, Luke, I kind of opened up the broadcast talking about harvesting and want to begin to wrap up our conversation on that note. When it comes to unsold bushels in particular, what kind of suggestions or things uh, do you want to offer to our viewers today they should be thinking about? Well, one variable that's different, Bryce, that we haven't had to deal with for a while is just the interest rate environment being higher. Uh, producers need to keep that in mind as they think about the opportunity cost associated with keeping bushels, unsold bushels in storage, whether that's commercial storage or on-farm storage. Uh, keeping a soybean on-farm or in commercial storage is going to cost you 10 cents a bushel per month in interest alone. Uh, that doesn't count the cost to you know, run the fans to the, the in and out costs, the shrink. Uh, so producers really need to be aware of that. It's going to cost a lot of money to store, especially soybeans uh, on farm. And so you need to have a good carry built into the market. And the only way to take advantage of carry is to sell it. So just selling spot grain out of storage is not going to be a good strategy this year. Um, basis is really going to be defensive if, when we see those rallies because there is a fair amount of unsold grain out in the marketplace. So I think if we can see some strength develop in corn and soybeans, maybe more so on the bean side, producers get a chance to sell $13 cash at the processor or the elevator for fall beans. That feels like a sale to me. Uh, it's just going to take a lot of money, a lot of appreciation in this market to justify holding grain in space this year. So be aware of that. Be aware of your interest costs as you consider that. 
if you must or don't like the price, uh, I certainly don't mind selling reowned strategies. Uh, reowning some of these commodities on paper is going to be a cheaper alternative to putting uh, bushels in space, especially when it comes to soybeans. Fortunately, there is some good carry in the board for both corn and soybeans today. So if you're a hedger, uh, that's going to benefit you. There should be enough money in the carry, in the spreads uh, to offset your interest costs. So uh, be aware of that. Take advantage of that if you're a short hedger and roll those positions forward if you have uh, grain in space. Coming up next week, we'll be joined by Mike Briggs out at Briggs Feeds Yard. As always, we invite your questions here on the program. So if you have one for Mike, go ahead and email us or get in touch over on social media, and I'll be sure to pass your question along. Well, one of the top reasons that farmers plant cover crops is for weed suppression. Tackling tough, often resistant weeds can be a real chore. And correctly timing planting and termination of cover crops can help control weed problems out in the field. But finding that balance can be tricky. You can learn more about how cover crops can help in weed suppression in the September issue of the Nebraska Farmer. What well, is now time to check in with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, we've made it through the month of September and those summer-like conditions have been sticking around. So how much longer do you think can we plan to enjoy these warm days? Thanks, Bryce. We're about ready to turn the calendar to October. Mother Nature must miss a memo when things are going to turn into August. So that's what it's going to feel like for a good portion of the state for the next couple of days. Start with the drought monitor. We do have some good news. So we did see some improvements across portions of north central and south central and southwestern Nebraska. We have under half, uh, more than 45% uh, of the state now was, I'm uh, sorry, 55% of the state now was free of drought. Uh, that is the highest percentage of the state free of drought since August 10th of 2021. So good news. Uh, and again, areas where we did see the improvement were the places where we had the most precipitation in the last seven days here across southwestern, south central, and up here across the north central portion of the state. Uh, one little area degradation down here in Gage County. Uh, again, precipitation amounts are a big winners this last week were Lynch with 3.69 inches and Kearney with a little over four inches of rain. Uh, but very broad one and a half to three inch rainfall totals here kind of across south central Nebraska and a broad one and a half to two to three inch rainfall totals across northeastern Nebraska. Uh, again, particularly northeastern Nebraska, we really needed this rain because we are very dry the last part of August and the first start of September. Uh, again, we really kind of missed out the precipitation here across uh, portions of southeastern Nebraska. Maybe we didn't miss out on entirely given we did have a break in the football game last Saturday, uh, but we've been very, very dry here from York to Lincoln this month. And some places have been very, very dry this year. So, for example, in Columbus, uh, we not only are almost running 50% below normal for the year, we are almost the driest on date to year. Uh, I'm not sure which year was actually drier than this, but there's maybe only been one other that's been drier than this to this point. Conversely, at Scott's Bluff, we are not only way above average, we're more than double where we had for total precipitation last year, and we're almost the wettest on record. Uh, and they have a good chance of setting their wettest year on record with a couple more big storms out there. Uh, good thing is swim moisture. We did see some improvements. This is the Indianola site in Red Willow County. Uh, very good response from the rain last weekend. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this is near Meade and uh, Saunders County. Uh, we have had very little precipitation this month, and our soil moisture is bad at kind of all depths right now. So where are we heading for the week ahead? So again, expect a very warm, uh, probably record warm temperatures, uh, particularly in central and eastern Nebraska. We'll definitely have some highs, uh, upper 80s, even maybe mid 90s in a couple of cases. I want to emphasize there is a very high fire danger, particularly in areas uh, probably kind of between York and Lincoln, where we have not had much precipitation in the last month. Uh, we will see a slow moving storm system move into the area uh, early next week. That should bring us some moisture. And we have the chance of having some very good moisture across the eastern portion of the state. 
and there could be an abrupt end to these unseasonably warm conditions that we've been having uh, by late next week. Now, the CPC right now is still showing is still very bullish on it being warm for the, you know, 8 to 14 days from now. But we're, what we might be watching, though, is the possibility of having a stronger trough move into the central United States late next week. If that verifies, temperatures probably will only be in the 50s or low 60s for most of the state by Friday and Saturday next week. It's not a guarantee, but something to watch out for. CPC is, continues to be bullish on precipitation uh, in our region for the middle part of October. Uh, probably not the best for finishing up harvest, but we definitely need the moisture. Speaking of moisture, uh, if you have not joined the Cocoros or any rain networks, this is a good time to join it. We really need some observers up here in the north central part of the state. Back to you, Bryce. All righty, thank you very much for the update, Eric. Well, contamination of groundwater has raised significant environmental and health concerns in Nebraska and beyond. New research coming out of the University of Nebraska, Lincoln is showing how alfalfa in rotation with annual crops can reduce nitrate leaching potential and increase soil organic carbon sequestration. We recently had the opportunity to discuss this topic with Nebraska Extension Nutrient Management and Water Quality Specialist Javed Iqbal. Today on Crop Talk, we are discussing alfalfa in rotation with annual crops to help reduce nitrate leaching potential. Joining us is Javed Iqbal from Nebraska Extension. We appreciate you joining us here on the program. I guess size up this topic. How big of a problem is there here in Nebraska when it comes to nitrate leaching and what's the potential health risk? So our state of Nebraska is really fortunate enough to have plenty of groundwater that is used for drinking purposes and growing crops. However, growing crops comes at a cost as excessive nitrogen fertilizer use in parts of the Nebraska has resulted in nitrate contamination in the groundwater. And we also know that more than 80% of Nebraskans, they drink this groundwater. And there are some uh, research reports that have shown that uh, this nitrate contamination in the groundwater has uh, resulted some health effects. It has increased uh, birth defects pediatric cancer and, and some other diseases, related diseases. So this water must be con, uh, treated before this can be uh, utilized by, by the people of Nebraska. Um, and which also adds cost to treatment of this groundwater as uh, some Nebraskans are paying millions of dollars hmm. uh, to treat this contaminated water. So in order to avoid this, uh, you know, in order to avoid the cost uh, with the treatment of this groundwater, and uh, avoid the health effects, uh, we must adopt some strategies to reduce nitrate contamination of our aquifer. So in short, could be a big problem here. That's why uh, you looked into this topic. So share with us, how does alfalfa, for those not, uh, not uh, used to this concept, how does alfalfa mitigate the potential for nitrate leaching? So alfalfa is a major perennial leguminous forage crop with a deep taproot system that is efficient in uptake of deep soil nitrogen and water. This crop aggressively scavenges nitrogen in the soil and can, can take up significant amount of nitrate nitrogen below the crop rooting you know, depth of uh, the annual crops and remove nitrogen in significant amount through its harvest. Uh, so this crop also fixes uh, you know, atm atmospheric nitrogen into the soil which helps uh, you know, the crop nitrogen demand throughout the growing season. So giving these multiple benefits with alfalfa, uh, with reducing uh, nitrogen in the groundwater and fixing significant, significant amount of nitrogen into the, into the soil 
uh, including alpha-alpha in the crop rotation is a long recognized concept mm -hmm. to reduce nitrate leaching in the aquifer. So Javed, tell me about the experiment, the study, and perhaps some of the conclusions you drew because of that. To evaluate the impact of alpha-alpha rotation on nitrate leaching potential, we conducted a study in central Nebraska. So we took soil sample uh, in the Vedo zone at four, 24 feet depth in the alpha-alpha alpha rotation and continuous cone and analyzed those samples for nitrate, ammonium, uh, water, and soil organic carbon. Uh, what we find uh, from this study was really interesting. Alpha-alpha in rotation decreased nitrate concentration by 55% and soil water by 27% compared to continuous corn, which indicated a strong potential of reducing nitrate leaching with alpha-alpha in the rotation. We also found that this alpha-alpha also added some carbon credits. It uh, increased uh, soil organic carbon by 47%. Overall, our finding uh, from this study indicates that including alpha-alpha in the rotation is a highly effective means of reducing nitrate leaching in our aquifer, and this practice could be adopted to protect the drinking groundwater quality, uh, especially in the wellhead protection areas. So those are the results you found. How about on the economic side of this? Of course, in uh, two-thirds of Nebraska, the typical rotation is corn and soybeans back and forth. If people were to mix in an alfalfa rotation in there for a few years, what kind of economic benefits uh, could that perhaps bring? This, uh, including alfalfa in the rotation, can be profitable. Uh, a research analysis at UNL has shown that uh, in a 10-year crop rotation cycle, uh, with five years of corn and soybean and five years of alfalfa, there was 9% higher profit with alfalfa rotation compared to corn soybean rotation. Uh, this uh, benefit in uh, profits was mainly due to reduced nitrogen fertilizer inputs in, in alfalfa rotation, as including alfalfa in the root crop rotation. Uh, can reduce fertilizer nitrogen inputs by 66%. So uh, this really indicates that including alfalfa in the rotation uh, is a cost-effective means of reducing nitrate in the aquifer. You can learn more about this study over on the website, cropwatch.unl.edu. Before we wrap up our time together this week, I want to share a photo of the week with you. I know it's not Nebraska, but this is too good not to talk about. Four Iowa State football players inked an NIL deal with the Iowa Pork Producers Association. Their last names are Purchase, More, Hammond, Bacon. Check this photo out. They're now the faces of the new Purchase, More, Ham, and Bacon marketing campaign. The goal here is obvious, to try to push consumers to buy more pork products. October is National Pork Month, and the Iowa pork producers say this promotion will be part of that month-long celebration. We'll see if it works for them. As a reminder, you can catch the Market Journal Show anytime over on Acres TV. Head on over to watchacrestv.com. If you missed one of our individual segments, be sure to follow Market Journal over on our YouTube channel. Hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.